You heard it. Maybe you've been foolish enough to say it, but you've heard it. The outside doesn't matter. God's only concerned about the heart. Um, this is a subtle, satanic attempt to destroy Christianity. Saying the outside doesn't matter. <clears throat> you're a legalist. You're a legalist. Somebody said, look out, your ignorance is showing folks. Uh, legalism is not telling Christians how they should dress and wear their hair and how they should live. Legalism is teaching that salvation has something besides grace and faith in it. Legalism is adding baptism to, to, to faith for salvation. Legalism is adding good works to faith for salvation. Legalism is adding church membership to faith for salvation. Legalism has nothing to do with where Christians all live. All but these people that wear the long shaggy hair and and uh, and don't bathe and sort of a, a sort of a Christian kind, kind of a hippie Christian, they like to point their fingers of accusation to us and say, "Oh, the outside doesn't matter." The outside doesn't matter. Why did God speak in Proverbs chapter seven about the attire of a harlot? If the outside doesn't matter, why did God say in 1 Corinthians 11:14, "It's a shame for a man to have long hair"? the outside doesn't matter, why did Jesus say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? the outside doesn't matter, why does 1 Timothy chapter 2-9 admonish young uh, uh, ladies to dress uh, modestly in modest apparel? If the outside doesn't matter, the honest simple truth is much of the Bible deals with the way the outside ought to be. Our manner, our behavior, our way of life, our manner of life, our walk among men, these are all vital parts of the Christian life. Uh, so, we have uh, depreciated into a kind of anemic Christianity that looks like the hippie and lives like the hippie and talks like the hippie and dresses like the hippie and says a good word for Jesus and talks about being born again, which may or may not be true salvation, but if it is true salvation, it dead sure not true, true Christianity in the sense of the Christian life. Uh, <laughs> we depreciate it into a, a pat moonism. Sing at the nightclub where they serve liquor and have strip teasers on uh, Saturday night and then get up and testify for Jesus on Sunday morning. No, that's not New Testament Christianity at all. Uh, Mr. Boone, if you want to be a New Testament Christian, then quit the nightclub singing and quit the Hollywood crowd and start living for God and rebuke the dirty crowd that you're now running with. Don't be on the Johnny Carson show and advocate that mess and that paganism and heathenism. Uh, don't be on the Dinah show uh, that many, far, too many of you folks are watching in the afternoons and, and so forth. Don't be on that. If you really want to be a New Testament Christian, do what the Bible says. Touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Oh, what you say, Brother House, how are you going to win them if you don't uh, uh, walk among them? Now, you forget trying to figure out how to do it. You just do what the Bible says. The Bible says, touch not the unclean thing. The Bible says, be ye separate, saith the Lord. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Bible says that Christians are supposed to walk circumspectly from the world. Now, what you better do is quit trying to figure out your cute little way of reaching folks and get back to New Testament Christianity. And the truth is, a church like this that tells you how to dress and how to act in public and how to behave and how to wear your hair and what kind of clothes to wear and what kind of manners to have. That kind of a church wins more people accidentally than this other kind of crowd wins on purpose. And I'm saying that Christmas, most of the Bible doesn't deal with salvation. Most of the Bible deals with the Christian life. 
most of the Bible deals with the outworking of the inworking faith and regeneration. Most of the Bible deals with how we're supposed to behave as Christian people in this world. And so we have a, a, a Christianity, an anemic kind of a pseudo-Christianity, sort of a feeble kind of a Christianity. This Johnny Cashism that, that combines the Grand Ole Opry with the old-time religion, it just don't work, buddy. It just don't work. Grand Ole Opry hasn't got a thing, single thing to do with the old-time religion. And Mr. Cash, if you'd like to really be a fundamental Christian and be a good Christian, why don't you just quit the Grand Ole Opry? <coughs> and uh, I don't hear many amens on that. You've been watching that stuff, listening to that kind of stuff? Uh, why don't you, you, what's wrong with the Grand Ole Opry? If I had a day and a half, I could begin to tell you a few things that are wrong with the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, you, you go down there, and if you've been down there, you know what's wrong with it. And, and it's worldly. It's the world. That's what it is. And for a person to sing in that kind of garbage and then uh, talk about being a Christian and testify about the grace of God. My Bible says to touch not the unclean thing and be a separate, saith the Lord. It's the kind of a, a Mr. Flynn Christianity, you know. You know, I've published the Hustler magazine, but talk about being born again. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> I wouldn't give you one dime for a fellow's chances of being born again that puts out the kind of garbage Hustler magazine puts out. I, I, and I wouldn't give you a dime for <clears throat> the kind of Christianity that the president's sister has either that allows that kind of stuff. Somebody ought to get up and cry loud and preach against wrong and take a stand against wrong and take a stand for that which is right. Nobody can serve two masters. You love the one or hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You can't wear two hats. You can't, uh, you can't have, have a set on the, on the world's throne and God's throne and only that uh, you can't have Satan in your heart and God in your heart. I'm simply saying God is not pleased with this new kind of watered-down Christianity that publishes the Hustler magazine and then talks about being born again. It's kind of depreciated half in, half out, half on, half off, hot and half hot, half cold, milk and cider, pushing the foot and air tickling kind of Christianity that says the president and his wife can be seen with a Bible in the hand uh, going to church on Sunday morning. And then the president gets up and says, of course, I don't believe all the Bible. That part about what a woman ought to be, I just can't understand that. So I'll promote the godless, heathen, humanist ERA movement. That's not Christianity at all. And I want to say this too. That kind of talk about the new birth does more harm than does good. It lets folks believe that you be born again and not believe the Bible. Folks believe you be born again and be against the Bible, the Bible teaching about the woman's place and the man's place. Uh, it's uh, this watered-down Christianity that, uh, <coughs> that spans from Norman Vincent Peale all the way to the 700 Club. Hey, let's all get together. I was, I was shaving this morning and turned on and tried to get religious broadcast. And I saw Oral Roberts with Robert Schuler on the same telecast, and Oral Roberts was a guest of Robert Schuler. I, 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 I don't know which crowd I'd rather be with the least. Honest to Pete. You see, you criticized Oral Roberts? Well, I'm, you, just, you might get the idea of what I'm saying if you listen carefully. I'm simply saying I'm not for this kind of Christianity that Norman Vincent Peale on one side and the PTL Club on the other side. I'm not for that. I'm for old-fashioned separatist Christianity. I'm for old-fashioned walk with God's people and live like God's people and dress like God's people. Well, you say I won't come back next Sunday night. I came to visit and I don't like this. You don't get what you like here. You get what I give here. And whether you come back next Sunday or not, it's not why I'm preaching. I'm not trying to preach to get you back next Sunday. I'm trying to preach to get you the truth while you're here. 
And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm simply saying, this kind of Christianity, hey, good Lord, good devil, and good cancer, and good health, and, and, uh, and good liberal, and good fundamentalist, and oh, we're all brothers in Christ. You believe the Bible or not, and you believe that virgin birth, it doesn't matter. Let's just all get together and get healed, and, and, uh, and let's have a, a, a charismatic service and talk in tongues. It doesn't matter you get the drunk homes. Hey, if you get drunk on Saturday night, let's talk in tongues on Sunday. That's all. Something good's about to happen to you, and, uh, and uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll join up with the liberal Methodist denomination and, and in order to get our school out. Let me tell you something, brother. There needs to be an old-fashioned revival of separation among God's people. Oh, uh, you say, brother, well, you're trying to divide the body of Christ. No, sir, I'm trying to purify the body of Christ. And, and uh, we deteriorated. Uh, we, 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 um, we look at the so-called Christian TV programs. I'm talking about the PTL, PTL Club and the 700 Club. Listen, you turn off the words of those things and you won't know whether you're on Johnny Carson or the PTL Club. <coughs> but you walk in First Baptist Church Hammond, you'll know there's something different. You walk in Howells Anderson College, you'll know there's something different. You walk in Hammond Baptist High School and grade school, you know there's something different. If you, listen, if you can't tell by the way you look that you're a Christian, you ought to change the way you look. And if folks can't tell that you're not a hippie but the way you look, there's something wrong. Oh, you see, you're always interested in the outside. Yes, and God's interested in the outside too. And if you say God's not concerned about the outside, you're showing your ignorance of the Word of God. The Word of God more of it talks about the outside and how men ought to clean up and behave right and behave properly, but it talks about the new birth. And I'm, I'm certainly for the new birth. Uh, this kind of depreciated Christianity uh, that says uh, the bionic woman is born again now and continues her sordid sensuality on the television screen. If she's born again, have her cover up her navel. <coughs> By the way, you cover yours up too. She's born again, let her, let her get up on the next telecast and stop the telecast and say, ladies and gentlemen, I have been born again. And a born-again person can't be a part of this kind of hellish stuff. And I'm leaving this stuff to serve Christ and live for God and dress right and behave right. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, would be New Testament Christianity. And that would be the evidence of a real born-again experience. My Bible goes farther than to say, if any man didn't Christ is a new creature, it doesn't stop there. It says old things are passed away. It says all things have become new. And that means Hollywood's passed away and all things have become new. And that means that wicked dress has passed away and all things have become new. Um, the, uh, and even now, the White House goes to a Baptist church on Sunday morning and then has a jazz, jazz concert on the Lord's Day on Sunday night. Now, that's not New Testament Christianity. That's not Bible Christianity. And now, we've gotten so far, even a strip teaser, she, a stripper, stands up and she says, I strip for Jesus. I'd like to have an old-fashioned switch from my mama's peach tree after her while she's stripping for Jesus. <coughs> and we swallowed this garbage hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. The honest truth is, the fundamentalists today, or the fellow talks about being born again, hadn't got any more of a changed life than the liberal used to have. Let Pat Boone quit Hollywood. Let Johnny Cash quit the uh, Grand Ole Opry. Let Mr. Flint stop the Hustler magazine. And the Bionic woman become the Bible woman, and I'll believe what they said. Someone needs to call for revival outside. It's proof of revival on the inside. 
It does matter how you dress. It does matter how you wear your hair. It does matter how you behave in public. It does matter the kind of Christian you are. It does matter on the outside. It does matter what folks see when they look at you. It does matter. Our manner reflects the inside. Did you know, for example, if a person is, has manners on the outside, he's simply saying to somebody to whom, he, to whom he's courteous, he's saying, I feel kindly toward you, and that's why I'm nice toward you. And if he, if he if a fellow does not have manners, he says to the person, I do not feel kindly toward you. The reason you don't speak to folks when you see them is you don't care about folks when you see them. The reason you don't take time to speak to a little child uh, is, is that um, is you, you don't care much about a little child. The reason you don't take time to tip, tip your hat is you don't care much about people. The reason you don't take time to shake hands and say good morning, how are you, and be courteous and kind is you don't care much about people. Well, I know. I know what you want. You want to you be in the world and in the church. You want the world to not, not criticize you and the church to not criticize you. And that's why you get a little peeve when you come to First Baptist Church of Hammond, some of you. Because we don't, we don't, we don't let you straddle the fence. Uh, at least you don't enjoy it when you straddle the fence. You say, well, I do. And how come you're mad right now? I can't make you change your way of life, but I make you uncomfortable for an hour and a half tonight. You know that a handshake, a handshake is simply a stack of arms. You fellows in the ex-servicemen order needs to stack arms. You know that the handshake started back yonder when men, when men used their arms for battle. The arm hurled the spear. The arm is the one that wielded the sword. The arm was the one that was used in battle. And a fellow walked up and extended his arm. He was giving you his weapon of war just like you turned over a gun to him in battle right now. He was saying, I trust you, and I want to let you know that I trust you. And the fellow said, okay, I trust you too, and we'll shake our hands, which means they were holding each other's weapon. That's what it amounts to when the right hand shook. Did you know that when we take off our hats, you know how that started? The helmet was that which, which, kept, uh, which, which protected people. And back in the old days, if you trusted somebody and felt kindly towards somebody, you took off your helmet and you said to them, here I am, I'm an easy target for you. I, uh, <coughs> I trust you enough where I'm leaving my whole head vulnerable for your attack. And so the manners, uh, of ta manner of taking off the hat was simply an expression of what the feeling on the inside. Manners express a warm inside. The courteous man says, I'm interested in you. The discourteous man says, I'm not interested in you. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about uh, uh, behaving when you go to church. I'm talking about in public meetings, behaving yourself. I'm talking about dressing appropriately for a public meeting. I'm talking about learning how to be, be proper in any kind of a, of a proper situation. I was, uh, I was in a debate several years ago for the Christian Life magazine uh, for two uh, issues. They put the debate in there word for word. They tried to abbreviate it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it unless they put it in a word for word. They chose <coughs> a liberal preacher from, uh, uh, Garrett, uh, doc, uh, uh, from Garrett Seminary in Chicago, a Dr. Ford from Garrett Seminary in Chicago. He represented the, the liberal. They chose me to represent the fundamentalist and chose a professor from uh, a college in this area to represent the confused middle of the roaders. And uh, so uh, <coughs> this professor was a woman. I started to say a lady, but I, I want to be as accurate as I can. And uh, she was a woman. We finished the debate. And uh, the liberal preacher looked at me and said, Dr. Hiles said, uh, what is your IQ? This has been about, oh, 12, 15 years ago, and I was a young man then. And uh, I still am a young man. And uh, anyway, he said, uh, what's your IQ? And I said, I don't know what it is now, but in the Army it was 141, they said. 
And this liberal preacher said, well, he said, I thought you were a brilliant young man. He said, how could a young man as brilliant as you are believe the Bible is the Word of God? I said, because I'm scared of my mama. He said, what? I said, Mama taught me the Bible's Word of God, and I'm scared, scared not to believe it. And I said, if you'd had a mama like mine, you wouldn't be a pagan infidel today either. <clears throat> and then this, this, this confused person from the college of long hair and short skirts and pants and so forth, she said, uh, she, she said that's the trouble you fundamentalists. You're just concerned about the outside. Now, that is not true. There is not a church in America that preaches any more about the condition of the heart than the First Baptist Church of Hammond does. And uh, I told her, I said, we sure we're concerned about the outside. I, I said, we teach our young people to, uh, how to shake hands. We teach our young folks uh, how to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I said, we'll have a Sunday school class lesson on how to be gen gentlemen and ladylike. And she called the name of her school. She well, she said, if you spoke that on the chapel of our college, our Christian college, our students would get up and walk out on you. I said, no, they wouldn't. We also teach them it's rude to get up and walk out on people, too. Manners. This thing of heckling down somebody who's trying to speak. If you're not going to listen, don't go to hear him. Let him speak. Carlisle said, good breeding remembers the rights of others. Bad breeding insists on one's own rights. Emerson said, manners is the finest of the arts. Doors open before good manners. They are passports to the hearts of men. Good manners are mirrors reflecting character. They are the sweetest of music, the prettiest of paintings, the most perfect of prose, the best of poetry, and the most majestic of sculpture. Sam Johnson said, I have no more right to be rude to you personally than to knock you down. Again, I'm saying, I'm talking about table manners. I'm talking about respect for the aged. I'm talking about propriety in dress. I'm talking about the use of slang. I'm talking about saying pardon me and excuse me. I'm talking about saying good morning. I'm talking about knowing how to dress appropriately and not looking like some freak that just landed from Star Trek when you go in public. I'm talking about the way you walk. I'm talking about <coughs> proper behavior in public meetings. I'm talking about just plain, what we used to call just plain old behaving yourself in public. That's what I'm talking about. It gives brightness to the humblest dwelling. It gives, it gives sweetness to the lot of labor and toil. It lifts the load of the laborer. It lends dignity to poverty. It produces refinement even in the ghetto. It gives strength to the weak. It gives health to the sick. It get, adds a rainbow in the storm. It is the cheapest of all the commodities. It is the easiest of the arts to imitate. It makes the masculine more masculine. It makes the feminine more feminine. It is the most powerful of all the weapons, this matter of being nice and courteous and friendly and happy. I know of a doctor that gave, gave a prescription to his patients, go home and laugh five minutes every hour as a prescription. There was a doctor in this area one time that bought hundreds of my books, Blue Denim and Lace. And he prescribed certain chapters. He had write, write a prescription out. Instead of saying, take some, take a two Valium tablets three times a day for your nerves, he'd say, read Blue and Lace, chapter 6 and chapter 4, every day. Doctors, are you taking notes? My book, Blue and Lace, we need business. And 
<coughs> he'd buy it right in this area. What, was not a member of our church, by the way. Didn't even come to our church. Came one time to visit, but didn't come to our church. But he prescribed my book, Ruth and Malays. The Bible says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Wasn't it Elizabeth Barrett, who was an invalid? She could not as much as lift up her head off her pillow. Robert Browning came to see her one day, and on his first visit, she lifted her head off her pillow for the first time. On his second visit, she sat up in bed for the first time in, in months. On his third visit, she eloped with him. There's something strengthening about manners. Ladies, young ladies, that's it. Young men, that's where to get a wife. Be nice and courteous. Find one that's paralyzed. Be courteous to her. <coughs> There's a lady in this room that's driving to church one Sunday morning. She passed by a certain corner, corner over here in Gary. She saw an older lady waiting for a bus or a cab. She stopped and said, where are you going? And she said, to church. And our member said, why don't you go to church with me? And she said, where do you go? She said, First Baptist Church of Hammond. She got in the car, a perfect stranger. She brought her to our church one Sunday morning. She didn't think much about that, and, but she went by to get her on Sunday morning for, for, I guess, several weeks or months. And the old lady died soon and left, I guess, thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in her will for that lady. They picked her up on Sunday morning. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to start looking for old ladies standing on the street corner. <laughs> you better know I am. I, I, I got an idea that every, every one of us will leave an hour early next Sunday morning drive, we'll bump into each other driving all over town. And with some of you rich old ladies stand out in Munster on the corner of Greenwood and Ridgeway, if you don't mind, please. Just a courteous howdy. One day I got a telephone call. Our folks have heard this uh, several times. I got a telephone call. St. Margaret's Hospital. A lady named Babacy, B-A-B-A-C-Z, Babacy, said, I want to talk to you. I went up to St. Margaret's Hospital, a big uh, gruff lady, nice and courteous, but gruff, lying there in bed. She's 72 year, 74 years of age. She said, she said, you don't know me. But she said, my name is Babacy. I've had a heart attack. Don't think we'll live very long. She said, you don't know me, but I met you one time. She said, I, was, uh, I own an apartment house down here behind Goldblatt's. I own an apartment house down there. She said, one, one afternoon, you came by to visit one of my, my um, uh, tenants. Uh, you knocked on the door. I was sitting in an old-fashioned port swing over on the side. And uh, I had an old dress on, old dirty dress. Had old beat-up house shoes on. I looked like I was poverty-stricken. You didn't know I owned the place. And uh, you, looked, you looked over and said, hi, Mama. How are you today? And she thought, now, isn't that strange? What's the young man will be nice to me for? It's been many years ago. And uh, <coughs> what's he nice to me for? And she said, you said, could I swing with you? She had one of those old-fashioned porch swings, the kind that would hang, you know, the kind that you swing like, like that on, you know. And uh, <coughs> those old-fashioned porch swings. I, I, she said, she said, you sat down beside me in that old-fashioned porch swing. You said, you have any children? I said, yes. You said, you have any pictures? I said, I have a, have a uh, uh, family album. You said, could I see it? And I said, uh, reckon that man wants to see my pictures of my kids and grandkids. Said, you really want to see it? Yeah. She said, you said, I want to see it. She said, I went in, got my family album, brought it out. She said, for 15 minutes, we just sat there on the porch and we just swang together. And <clears throat> you looked at my, my family album, and she said, you prayed with me, and you walked away, and I said, that's the nicest young man I ever met, and I think that's a pretty uh, accurate statement. And uh, she, said, <clears throat> she said, if I ever get sick, that's the preacher I want to pray for me. She looked up at me from the hospital bed, and she said real gruffly, now I'm sick, pray. <laughs> I bowed my head, 
and had a prayer. Prayed for God to help her and give her strength and to heal her and give her grace and be near to her. I got through and she looked up at me and she said, now you've done something nice for me. She said, what could I do nice for you? I said, I never tell any of our needs. I, you just, if God leads you to do something for us, you do it. I thought she'd give us, you know, the usual baptistic sacrificial gift, maybe a marker for the Bible on the Lord's Supper table or something like that. And she said, uh, I said, just whatever you think now. Don't, 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 uh, I'm, not, I'm not here because I wanted something. She said, do you have any needs? And I said, we have a lot of needs. I'm not going to tell you what they are. She said, don't you run some buses? It's back yonder. We had six buses in those days, six buses. <coughs> Meredith Plopper had come to my office a few days before when she was our financial secretary, and we had prayed for God to give us two brand new buses. We needed some new buses. I mean, in those days, they cost $7,000 apiece. It cost more than that now, but, but uh, we prayed for two new buses. Prayed one time for two new buses. She said, don't you run buses? And I said, yes, we do. She said from her hospital bed, right up here at St. Margaret's Hospital, she said, would it be all right with you if I bought you a brand new bus? Well, I prayed about it for 10 seconds and said, yes, I think it'd be all right. She picked up her telephone. By the way, first time I ever met Bob Christ in my life. She picked up her telephone. She called Pearsville, Indiana from the hospital room and ordered a $7,000 brand spanking new bus. All for 15 minutes of looking at a family album. Listen, if you'll give me $7,000, I'll spend 15 minutes with you looking at your family album. <laughs> in fact, this is summertime and I need the money, I'll do it for $3,500. And I'll even be nice to you. And I'll even swing with you. And I'll even install the swing. And provide it. I left there. I didn't want to tell Meredith Popper about the bus. Because we prayed for two and only got one. I didn't want to tell Meredith. I was afraid to lose her, she'd lose her confidence in my prayer power. I thought I could tell her that he, she gave us two, but, the, but, but Washington deducted one. But... Uh, I came back and I was waiting to try to figure out what to tell Meredith. And I said, Lord, I asked for two new buses and only have one. What's the deal? <clears throat> Telephone rang. I picked it up. <clears throat> Long distance from Pearsville, Indiana. Bob Chris was talking. He said, uh, uh, this Reverend Hyatt? I said, yes. He said, is this the, you, you the Reverend? The old lady at the hospital is going to buy a new bus for her? I said, I'm the Reverend. And he said, she just called back and said, make that two new buses while you're at it. $14,000 for 15 minutes on the front porch. Just be nice. I could tell you story after story after story of how just being courteous has paid off. But if it doesn't pay off, it's right to be courteous and right to be, be mannerly. I, uh, I, um, I, I, I've told you this on Sunday morning, never the Sunday night crowd. As you know, I, on, on the radio broadcast, our radio broadcast is not really going to rival the best planned uh, broadcast. Uh, Brother Colston's jokes are terrible, honestly. <laughs> the joke he told the other day about the, on the radio, on money I raise. He told the joke about the fellow that was taken in, the drunk man that was taken into the police station. And he said, what am I here for? And they said, you're here for drinking. And he said, wonderful, when do we start? Now, isn't that terrible? <laughs> He told that on the radio broadcast the other day. I mean, that, that's, that's money, hard-earned money. And, uh, but it does beat studying. 
And uh, I remember one morning, as you know, our, our broadcast was started. I don't ever told you this or not. When I first came to Hammond, and we had all the trouble here, and all over town, the word got that young Texas preachers come up here and split that church and chased all those folks off, and he's as mean as he can be. I said to Jim Lyons, let's get together and discuss how we can combat this reputation we have of being mean. And one thing we did was decide to go on, on WYCA. We've been on now for 19 years this fall. We started on WYCA with a 15-minute daily broadcast from 9.15 to 9.30 when the station first went on the air. I can recall those early days. Uh, the manager would come by and say, Reverend, we're going to have to close down the station if we can't get some money. And I can recall paying him three months in advance to keep the WICA on the air. And it would not have been on the air today if we hadn't have paid some money and paid some money in advance and, and, and helped keep the station. But anyway, when I was going to go to Japan to preach. And I had to get some, some uh, shots. <clears throat> so I went down to the, uh, the um, uh, Hammond Clinic on the way to the broadcast one morning. And I went in to get my shots. I told the lady I needed some shots. I wanted to go to Japan. I had to get a passport. So I uh, rolled up my sleeve, and uh, she also um, worked on other places, too, where I had to have shots. And, and so she gave me the shots. And I got through with the shot, and I started to walk out. And she said, that's all. And I said, it's not all either. And she said, well, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's not all. She said, why? I said, aren't you a good nurse? Well, she said, of course. And I said, I didn't cry. Don't you give suckers to the boys that don't cry? And she laughed and she reached, and did you know, a little of that can bring a lot of joy in the lives of people. And so she reached in, in, in a little box there and she got a handful of suckers and she said, here's one for you and one for each one of your assistant pastors also. <laughs> and so I came up on the broadcast that morning. And I said, good morning. I said, this is the old man himself this morning, and I greet you from the pastor's study. And uh, I trust everything is well with you today, and you're off to a good start on today, and that God is blessing you. And that we came by to remind you that a kind and loving Heavenly Father who cares for his own. And uh, I said, you'd be so proud of me. You know what? I went by and got my shots for my foreign trip. I stopped at the Hammond Tank. I didn't cry. I didn't whimper. I was a good boy. I didn't, didn't, and, and I told the nurse, I said, don't you give suckers to those that don't cry? And the nurse laughed and gave enough suckers for all of my assistant pastors. I told them on the broadcast, it's not much, but it beats the joke you told. And so it's not very spiritual, but it's more spiritual than the joke you told, too. And, uh, but anyway, um, weeks and weeks passed and months passed. Um, I was over here at Carson Perry and Scott. I was buying a, a sweater for my sister on her birthday, and one of our members waiting on me. And a lady came across the store, and she said, aren't you Reverend Hiles? And I said, how do you know I'm Reverend Hiles? And she said, because I heard you laugh across the store. And I said, heard me laugh? Where did you hear me laugh before? She said, on the radio. Now, I didn't know I laughed on the radio. I didn't even realize that I laughed. And she said, anybody can hear your laugh, and you got the most different laugh in the world. And then she, she called me off the side and she told me a story. She told me how that one morning, I think she said that morning her husband had left her and she had some children to rear and she couldn't face life. And so she reached over, had a radio on, on WYCA, reached over and she got a gun to point to her head to kill herself. And she said she heard a preacher on and the preacher said, you'd be so proud of me. She told me this whole story. She said, you said, you'd be so proud of me. 
Said, I came by and got my shots from a trip to Japan. And said, I was a good boy. I didn't cry. I didn't whimper. And I put the gun down and I said, wait a minute. I want to hear him before I shoot myself and see what this crazy fool is going to say. I never heard a preacher like this before. And she said, you said that when you got through with your shots, you told the nurse you ought to get a sucker because you didn't whimper or cry. And the nurse gave you a handful of suckers. And she said, before you got through with that, I was laughing. Had a gun in my hand. I was about ready to shoot my head, my brains out. And I was laughing. And she said, I got on my knees and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And she said, all because I heard you laugh on the broadcast one time. Uh, I go off the broadcast saying, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. A good morning here and a good morning there. And a how are you here? And a God bless you here. I was talking to a little boy the other day. I was out preaching somewhere. And little boy's over here. He's getting an, uh, see, what, what, what did I see him? Uh, oh, oh yeah. I um, I was getting me a, uh, I was in a place where they had ice cream or something, and I was on a trip. And the boy was over here, and he had a good haircut. I didn't know him. I said, hey, I like the way your hair's cut. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, uh, who, who makes you get your hair cut like that? I got a good barber. I got a good barber. And I said, boy, you're a nice looking fellow. That's the way I like my hair to be cut, and I like that kind of haircut. Now, little things like that. I, I was right down here at this store. Uh, what's this store down here on Soul Street, this supermarket? Is it Mays? Right, right, uh, right down here, this, this side of the, of the Civic Center. A&P. I was down there getting checked out one day. And I, and I had, uh, I had some, uh, some candy. I bought some candy. I was going to give it to somebody here at the church for some kind of promotion. And uh, I had some candy. And two little boys behind me, and one said, Golly, look at all that candy. And I said, Fella, would you like to have some? Yeah, we sure would. And I bought them all the candy their pockets could hold. I do it often. Um, just uh, trying to spread some sunshine, trying to be courteous and nice and friendly. I was on the airplane. <coughs> the stewardess came by and spilled whiskey all over me. I mean all well, not quite all over me, but uh, I smell like a bar. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I had a Bible in my hand, and she said, all the people that spill whiskey on, it's a reverend. I didn't tell her I was a reverend. I just had a Bible there. I guess nobody has a Bible but reverends. But I, and I said, listen, you can't help that. I said, I'll just go home and, and squeeze my trousers out, and I'll have some refreshment when I get home. And <coughs> she said, I bet you wouldn't. I said, I bet you, I bet you, I, bet you I wouldn't either. She said, would you like to have a Bloody Mary? I said, I didn't know she was sick. <clears throat> she said, how about a screwdriver? I said, nothing's broken as far as I know. And, and But we, she, we kidded a bit and kidded and kidded. And uh, she um, finally, um, uh, she, uh, she told me as I got off the plane, she said, you're the nicest man I ever waited on. She said, I, of all the people who spill whiskey on, should have been you. But she said, you've been so courteous and kind. I got so flustered. I back in those days, I took, I sold books on the road, and I put the book money in a in a little little uh, bank um, um, bag and uh, money bag, and I got so flustered. I left seven hundred dollars on that airplane. Oh, I walked up to the almost to the car. I'd been gone five minutes. I thought, oh my soul, left seven hundred dollars on the airplane. I walked back, and she was waiting. That wait, that stewardess was waiting there with my my money bag, hoping I'd come back. And good night alive. I'll, I'll let whiskey be spilled on me any time to save $700. And, you know, I was, I was in, uh, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. 
and got on the plane, and uh, the smoking section back in the back was full of people almost, and I was the only person in the no smoking section. Now, you think that's not a job. You try to do all the no smoking on an airplane by yourself and see if that's not a job. And there I was, I had to do all the no smoking by myself, and I, I was happy that day. I was humming. I'm so glad that my Father in Heaven tells of His love in the book He has given. And the stewardess came by and said, You seem happy. She said, What kind of music is that? I said, That's rock music. She said, Doesn't sound like it to me. I said, It's rock and roll. She said, uh, Sing some of that rock music for me. And I said, Rock of ages, cliff for me. Let me And she said, Is that rock music? I said, Yeah. I said, I'm building on the rock. And she laughed, and she said, well, where's the roll come in? I said, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And she laughed and laughed and laughed, and I said, would you like to have some rock and roll? And she sat down across from me, and I wanted a Jesus Christ. She prayed right there in front of everybody and got converted and sat down on the, across from me, and I taught her about the Christian life, and then I had somebody to help me do the no smoking on the airplane the rest of the way. Now, you listen to me. Kindness is always in order. Courtesy is always in order. A uh, yes, ma'am, is always in order. Manners are always... Ah, it doesn't matter on the outside. All you've got to hold in your head, and besides that, you're dumb. And uh, it does matter how you behave. It does matter to be nice. Listen, I know people in, in, in this area that won't hire anybody but Howells Anderson College students because our young men work hard, because they dress right, because they behave properly, because they yes, say yes, sir, and no, sir. And I know some places that won't hire anybody from Howells Anderson College because some dud went out there from Howells Anderson College and act like a sanctimonious fool and gave a, left a bad reputation for our school. And now they say, I don't want any more of those Howells Anderson College students. Listen. If you're not going to have good manners, don't talk to me about your fundamental Christianity. They said that Martin Luther could lead a reformation, and yet his warmth of personality could melt bullets. They said that George Washington could win a revolution, but his manners could charm a cobra. They said that Shakespeare's pen could be a fiery dart, and yet his manner was like a lamb. They said that John Knox could rouse Europe with his thunder, and yet he was as gentle as a snowflake tiptoeing earthward. His boldness made Queen Mary weep, and yet she said he was the perfect gentleman of all perfect gentlemen. Talent is power. Manners are skill. Talent is weight. Manners are momentum. Talent knows what to do. Manners knows how to do it. Talent makes a man respectable. Uh, manners make a man respected. Talent is wealth. Manners is ready money. Somebody has said manners are the bridges which men build over the gulfs which separate them and their castles of self and over which they pass in their dealings with one another. Confucius said, eat at your own table as you would eat at the table of a king. Let me just make it plain. In Hammond Baptist grade school, when the teacher comes in in the morning, you boys and girls ought to say good morning, teacher. Give me the name of a teacher at Hammond Baptist Grade School lady, Mrs. Smith. You ought to say good morning, Mrs. Smith. Would be, would be wrong for some of you uh, sixth, fifth, and six-year-old grade students to say, Mrs. Smith, did you have a nice weekend? If Mrs. Smith drops her pencil, you ought to butt your heads to picks it up first. Then they can wear plain. You teachers in Hammond Baptist Grade School ought to dedicate yourself this year to, to practice and practice and rehearse and rehearse proper manners for our children. 
I like it when you walk, when an adult walks in a classroom out of Hammond Baptist grade school. I like it when an adult walks through the door. I like to see the class, the pupils stand up. I like that. That's good. We almost, we had a plumber that almost had a stroke. <coughs> he came, th he came through one of the down. We used to have a grade school down here. Had to get through a classroom to get to the to the furnace or, or the the room where the plumbing was. And the guy walked through there, and all those people stood up, and the poor guy almost had a stroke. It ought to be that way. I didn't say plumbers ought to have strokes. <laughs> they give strokes when you get their bill. <laughs> but I'm saying we ought to drill our children. I interviewed a student yesterday morning, Dr. Evans and I did. Fine young man, graduate of a state university, and a good Christian, I think. And, and, and I think a soul winner. And he wants to come here because of what we have. And I said, do you have your degree from college? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't know any better. Because he comes from that kind of a culture that all... You, you watch sometimes <coughs> little children interviewed on some children's program. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you like uh, you like school? Yeah. Uh, will you be glad when school's out? No. No. You like your teacher? Yeah. We ought to have it so drilled that when our students, uh, they'll yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, because it's just a common thing. We ought to have courtesies. It ought to be so that when your students at school get the idea when an adult walks in the room, they stand up. So when they're at home, there ought to be there ought to be such on the inside and the instinct until the natural reaction will be, stand up and dad walks in the room, stand up and mom walks in the room. Uh, at home, we ought to teach our children to get dad's house shoes for him. And let dad have the best chair in the house. And, and treat dad with respect. It ought to be, it ought to be that dad has such a respect from the, from the, from the children that they would not think of being discourteous to him. Uh, I do not know if I can ever remember Becky or Linda or David or Cindy ever talking disrespectfully to me, even when they're little children. I just don't know if I can ever recall it. Uh, you know, it's pretty bad. When somebody can go to Hammond Baptist grade school, Hammond Baptist junior high school, and Hammond Baptist high school, and be in our schools for eight years and not even have enough, not have enough manners taught them that they've learned where they even uh, can be nice to the retarded people, not over here now, but in the mornings, uh, retarded people over here, and, 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 and make fun of them. It's sort of sad when people, somebody go to our school for eight years and then use slang like the world. That's gross. It's sort of sad. We ought to have it so, so indelibly imprinted in them that there's propriety and manners. Let me say the story of, of, of Boaz in the book of Ruth. When Boaz went out to his workers, he said, he said the Lord be with thee. There ought to be a certain kind of, of a good morning, how are you this morning, and a courteous uh, greeting at work and at school. There ought to be a, a, a mannerly uh, atmosphere where the young boys get up and give the young girls their seats. 
My mother taught me when I was a boy. Night after night, she said, son, she'd say, young, 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 a girl's, the body of a young girl is sacred. And son, you shouldn't be rough with the body of a, young, of a little girl. God has chosen the body of a little girl for a very sacred thing. I didn't know what that thing was as far as, I didn't know that little girls grew up and had babies. I know that then. <clears throat> but she said, son, always treat a little, never hit a little girl, never pull her hair. We had a girl named Joy, I forgot her last name, Joy, sat right in front of me and she had pigtails. Oh, what a temptation. Oh, my soul. Well, had the desk, for, the back of the, her desk was, was next to the, the desk part of mine, you know, the front and back, back, you know what I'm talking about. And Joy, her pigtails, they, 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 they draped over on my desk. And oh, my soul, I wanted to <coughs> grab that thing and pull it so badly. But you'd be so proud of me, I never pulled George's pigtails one time. I'd take them up and throw them back up where they ought to be sometime. But my mama taught me. I was afraid if I, was afraid if I pulled George's pigtails, I was afraid I'd stop that, that whatever it was that was sacred about her. I was afraid it wouldn't be sacred anymore. Besides that, mama said, don't you touch a girl. And I wouldn't even touch her hair. I like to be courteous. I like to be kind. I like to be gracious. I like to be proper. And all of us should. Let's pray.